Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Game and Word podcast. Welcome, dear readers, to the Game and Word podcast, where gaming meets humanity. I'm your host, Jay Rooney, and if I sound a little funny right now, it's because I'm fighting a nasty bug that's clogged my sinuses and messed up my throat. Fortunately, I recorded the main episode ahead of time, so don't worry. You won't have to listen to me talk like this for long. I do appreciate you bearing with me. In any case, I've got a wonderful show for you today. My guest this week is Jennifer Alloway, senior game writer at Monolith Productions. We spoke about narrative design, what goes into building an effective branching narrative, and tips for any of you current or aspiring writers who are thinking of breaking into the game industry. Okay, here's a hint for just one of them. Play D&D. Yes. As in Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. I'm serious. You'll just have to listen to find out why. Anyway. It was a most enlightening and fun conversation. Jen is an industry veteran who's worked as a game writer and narrative designer for many years and... Her advice is sound, practical, actionable, and backed by her many years of experience working in video games. I hope that you find it useful and illuminating. Now, before we proceed, I do want to get a couple of housekeeping items out of the way. First, this episode does contain spoilers for the Banner Saga trilogy. If you've yet to play the games and think you might play them someday, you might want to skip this one, unless you don't mind spoilers, in which case, carry on. Second, I want to cordially invite you to join us over at the Game & Word subscriber chat to hang out with me and your fellow curious gamers and gamer-adjacent folks, kind of like how you would on Twitter, but with none of the toxic nonsense. By the time I'm recording this, you do need to have the Substack iOS app installed to join in the chat, but once you've installed it, be sure to follow the directions that I'll link to in the notes to join in the fun. Uh, And yeah, you do need to subscribe to the Game & Word Substack to participate. Whether you're a free or a paid subscriber, you are welcome to chat, but it is called subscriber chat for a reason. So if you haven't yet, hop on over to gameandword.substack.com, subscribe for free to get a new fascinating gaming deep dive every week. Finally, I would like to thank Game and Word's founding members for making this video possible. Letakas from Luzern, Switzerland, member since April 14, 2022. Ella F. from San Diego, California, member since April 24, 
Alexi F. from Chicago, Illinois, member since May 13, 2022, and Elvira O. from Mexico City, Mexico, member since May 18, 2022. Okay, now that we're done with housekeeping, let's get started with this week's episode of the Game & Word podcast featuring Jennifer Alloway. I'll be back after we wrap up. See you then and enjoy the show. What have you been playing lately? A lot of banner stuff. <laughs> Got it as a birthday present from a friend who said that this was the game that like re-inspired him into loving good narrative design and games again. And even though Banner Saga has been like out and done mm -hmm. for years and years at this point, it's my first time really sitting down and playing it. And it, I'm obsessed. I I ended up finishing the full trilogy. And then immediately going back and restarting it and replaying it because I I just I want to see all the different branches and possibilities. And I don't do that with very many games. It's very rare that I finish a game and then I'm immediately like, I have to go back in. I'm not done with this yet. So that's been my obsession. Yeah, it's funny because I mentioned it. Uh, and I was like, I don't think I played it before, but then like checked it. And actually, it turns out that I did download it a while ago and then just kind of forgot about it. Um, but yeah, no, it is a good game. For, for our listeners, um, do you want to give a quick kind of for sure. what Banner Saga is? Uh, Banner Saga combines a visual novel, a strategy-style combat, a horse-inspired world and storyline. You come to this world and follow a few different perspectives, follow people's struggles as they fight for survival and do what they have to do to get to the next day. It's what I love about it is that it's a game that I call gritty, but not in the like stereotypical like edgelord gritty way. It has real grit and all of the narrative choices you make have consequences. Every single one of them. It's very rare that a game delivers on that promise when they make it, but nothing you do in this game is insignificant. And it all tallies up and adds to a really, really a very stunning conclusion at the end of the third game in the trilogy. So I, I really can't recommend it enough. But yeah, no, a narrative strategy game. Seems like a lot of games try to do like this thing where their choices matter, but oftentimes it's um, illusion like that they matter and it's not quite that they don't quite hit the mark or not at least that's my impression why do you think that is so there are a couple big reasons why choices like why ch making choices matter is harder than it looks first off it's expensive so every time you meaningfully branch the game's narrative in a pretty major way you have to think about how that's gonna lead to needing to make more art assets if you need to do more voice acting if you need to do more animation if you need to write different content and provide for the branches so there's a very real cost to making a story branch uh beyond something small and controllable mm -hmm. and beyond that it also reduces focus if you're not careful so if i branch 
if I make every single decision point in a visual novel branch with equal weight of impact, then it's going to spider out like a tree. And those twigs at the end of the branches get really clumsy and weak. And if your ending is on one of these twigs, it's not very satisfying because it's not very strong, right? So mm -hmm. ultimately, yeah. that's why most games, there is certain things that branch, but then come back to a stronger center. The reason why with Banner Saga, why I really found the branching so impactful is they focused their branching on small things that happen throughout the story. The major story beats are the same, which is normal for a visual novel, but all of the choices you make along the way impact who is there with you, you know, who dies, right? Who it impacts sort of little story vignettes you have access to and like stuff like that. And so the way that you get to the ending can feel remarkably different than if uh, you played it a certain way in the other game. The biggest yeah. factors in terms of like what affects a game's ability to promise and deliver on branching narratives is definitely like scope of the game and like the ability to deliver a focused, strong end. And um, do you think that uh, think that do you consider Banner Saga like a gold like the golden example for that or one of them or or what would you say is like a golden ideal? I had to pick a game that hits the mark the best. It's hard to go wrong with Disco Elysium. Disco Elysium is a Mm. fantastic yes. example of so many great elements of narrative design and i oh god we'd be here for a whole other podcast if we were talking about disco elysium but disco elysium is great i do think bear song does it very well but i think it does deserve accolades for that mm -hmm. it's a highly ambitious game and at the basically at the end point of the first game depending on a choice you made, you can have a completely different protagonist for the second and third game. And that's a lot to branch upon, just completely changing who your main character is. So I think that um, Banner Saga is incredibly ambitious in terms of what it's able to accomplish given the size of the game. It is like small but mighty. <laughs> And there's three of them and they're all, they all improve upon each other in really meaningful ways. And they all deliver the same promise of this branching narrative that changes and flows with the decisions that you make on a regular basis. So. And uh, are there kind of like safeguards or things you can kind of like bake into the planning process? Just like a signal or something like things are starting to get too like mm. unwieldy or is it more, um, is it more just intuitive, case by case? That depends entirely on the creator, because I know some creators that, like, all they need is coffee and enthusiasm, <laughs> and they will go in and make a, a beautiful, complicated mess of a game in two days, and it'll be its own thing. But I also know people like me who are more architecturally focused, of to put everything down on paper, and you have to plan this, I have to plan this and you have to go. It really depends on the approach that best fits your personality and your things that I have found generally worked for me is you want to start with the smallest achievable story you can. So just get down that golden path story of like there are story beats that must be hit every single time. 
get that done, get that playable. It's not the full experience, but get it, get something done so that you have something that you can always go back to, right? And then you go in and chunk it, right? And based on the chunks, figure out, okay, well, it's a really interesting story that we can add on top of this, right? One example of a story I think that does this well is, let's just use an example from Banner Saga. In first game, uh, you come upon a group of merchants that were trapped basically by the monsters that were ravaging the land and killing people left and right. And you can let them go as they are. You can let them go and take their supplies or you can like send back like some soldiers to escort them. But the important thing here is that if you take their supplies, starts a story thread where suddenly people inside of your campsite are getting sick and something is wrong and it takes you and at first you suspect food poisoning, like someone is going out of their way to poison you. Um, but then as the story progresses, you find out, no, it's just the food the merchants gave you was bad and it went spoiled. And so it is a, you have to then decide how to deal with what food is spoiled now, what food isn't spoiled. I don't know. Like you have to sort of triage the problem from there. And that's like one whole story thread that happens over the course of a single chapter. Another thing you can do on this subject matter, sorry to be bouncing around a little bit, is think about your micro stories and your macro stories. So some story threads mm. you can contain to a single chapter, like the example I just gave with the food and the supplies. That took place over the course of chapter three inside of contained space. And it still had consequences because in Banner Saga, you have a running tally of fighters and a sort of Norse horned giant race called Varl. And any action you take in some of these micro things will result in death and you will have less people. And in the end of the third game, it actually matters how many people you were able to save and bring back with you. And that helps you really launch into the final encounter in some meaningful way. These are micro stories that impact the end goal in some meaningful way. And then macro stories are like things that would take place over the course of the entire game, right? So that would be like a character arc, for example. Where, okay, this is an important character. In chapter one, we introduce him. And by chapter six, you made XYZ decisions along the way he's dead. If you didn't make those decisions and he's still alive, this is what he's doing. And doing that sort of level of branching as well. It's really just a matter of adding layers one at a time and trusting through the process of like layering these story arcs and these this mix of major stories and minor stories that it's going to feel like a living, breathing world. But it needs that sort of layering and care put into it uh, that effect. What would you say are some tips to give to someone who maybe wants to try writing a story for a game um, that maybe you wish you had known? So first off, it depends on what kind of game they want to make. So most film and TV mm -hmm. writers transition to games like The Last of Us or God of War very easily because those are still very linear mm -hmm. games. They don't really have choice or narrative branching involved. It's just basically 
watching a movie with playable parts in the middle and gameplay and which isn't meant as like a, a disparaging thing it's just a very linear style of game and at that point a yes. lot of the skills that you provide from the the tv uh film sort of side are going to transition really easily now if you're making say an open world game for the first time and you've never done an open world yeah. game like your skyrim your breath of the wilds my advice is to run a D&D game and like really run it. So go through the process of outlining all of your, your story notes and everything you want to have happen and really invest a lot into the, the story and writing of this campaign and then watch your players play with the box instead. <laughs> um, because what, the thing that... The lessons you learn from being a DM, and I say this as someone who I'm not actually that strong of a DM. I I used this skill once to sort of learn a few skills and I haven't gone back to it since. But like everything about open world design, you can get a taste of from being DM for tabletop game in that vein, because you're going to come in with your setup of what you think is going to happen. And your players are always going to surprise you. They are continually going to come up with new ways to break whatever idea you had, to turn their, the ideas you were preparing on top of their heads, do something completely unexpected. And that's what players do every day when they go into open world games. There are people who, I mean, speed running is like one example of like, there's a whole group of people just dedicated to breaking the game and finishing it as humanly fast as possible. It's a whole genre that you don't plan for but that exists right and what that does is by like thinking about games in this sort of out of the box way is you start to see not the story that you want to be told but the premise you can give to a player and i think those are two very different things because so you come in like here's my story Here's what I want to have happen, and you have to do this. That's very directive. That's very commanding. And I think that's what you're used to when you're used to being in charge of a story that doesn't have to move. But really what we're doing is we are providing the setup to players, and through their actions, they will create their own punchlines. And that's a lot scarier than yeah. uh, writing out a beginning, middle, and end of a story that ties together neatly this we're placing some trust in the player that they're going to want to do something that we're going to prepare for them my advice to approaching non-linear storytelling for the first time is really start by seeing how people who play games can surprise you and make do unexpected things and think about how you can promote their ability to do that rather than think about how you can force them to go along with this story, right? Yeah, that, that, that reminds me, uh, I saw this uh, on Reddit. It was uh, this DM who had you know, went through all the motions and a lot of time creating this like big epic campaign that was just all ready and excited to see it go. And then his players come in and every single one of their characters uh, were, were lizard folk. So he just scrapped the, uh, scrapped all his notes, the campaign, everything, and he said, "All right, let's see where this goes." And twenty like posts worth of like notes and his 
they, they played through like three whole campaigns at least. They've spent years just playing like this, this lizard gang lizard campaign. <laughs> And it was, it is hilarious. And really it's very commendable, you know, on the DMs part, right? They were willing to, that they were brave enough to go like all yours. And that's also like something I add, I advocate for people engaging in role play if they want to get into game writing. Cause it's actually how I learned how to write for video games. When I was a teenager, I would log on to World of Warcraft on the role play servers and I would show up and I would write my little 200 character box worth of text and I would sit there and wait and someone would reply to me and then I'd reply back and there's something the thing about writing for video games is the story doesn't belong to you it belongs to the player and I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with but I guess for me it's always come really naturally because my writing background has always been in these collaborative spaces like in MMO roleplay, forum roleplay. I've written a whole Twitter thread before just on like how different sort of looked down upon formats of writing taught me how to be who I am today in terms of a creative and a writer. And so I think that really any skill that teaches you to sort of give up ownership over the story and instead learn how to inhabit the story as a collaborator. That is ultimately what's going to, what serves people best, I think, when they come to games. Because then you're not thinking, how can I tell XYZ story specifically? You're, you're thinking about what is a good opportunity for story that I can provide that can go in a few different directions. And I want to clarify that, like, I'm saying, like, go into this, you know, not thinking of your own ownership. That's also really hard to do. It's not something that I've been doing this now for eight years and I still struggle with that. You know, I am not saying that this is easy, but like, for example, at my current job, I'm making a Wonder Woman game, which is very exciting and thrilling. But also there are people in charge who have more of a say than I do. (laughs) on what Wonder Woman sounds like and what a Wonder Woman story is, as is expected. And it really is a collaboration between everyone. And and that's just the way the industry works, too. Like, it is always about being someone who is fun to work with and being someone who collaborates really easily. Because ultimately, what will kill your career more than anything are just bad interpersonal skills. How did you get your start? And from that perspective, and from that lens, what would you advise? So I got my start in academia. I was in undergrad and I wrote one of the earlier studies on sexism in the game industry and how it impacts game content. And through that process, I got to interview 30 different women from very different backgrounds in the game industry, some with, you know, very long storied careers some who had only been in for a couple of years and while I was interviewing them about their experiences I was also exploring the idea like in my personal time about transitioning to to making games after I finished with college I ultimately decided that you know I felt like I was going to struggle personally if I didn't get you know pursue what I was doing further in a more academic setting so I went to grad school at NYU for game design. The NYU Game Center is an amazing program. I 
credit a lot of who I am as a creative person now with what I learned there. And grad school is not for everyone, but if it is something that you are considering, I do recommend the, the NYU Game Center program. That said, while I was at grad school, I picked up some indie contracts working on uh, some small sort of indie darlings that like not everyone's heard of, but people who have heard of them tend to really like. I worked with Wajidai Games on uh, Shard Light. I was a narrative editor for them and wrote some content for them uh, toward the end game. And Unavowed, which is uh, an IGF narrative nominee from the year 2019, I, I got to design a whole level for them. And that was really fun. Uh, cool. And I also worked on 2064 Readily Memories, smaller games that people in in those circles that have heard of them are like, oh my God, that game. But like everyone else is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, getting to work on these sort of smaller indie contracts are what allowed me to catapult into studio life. I then spent three and a half years working on Choices, Stories You Play over at Pixelberry Studios. It's a uh, visual novel app on your phone that you can download. And it has a whole library of various visual novels that you can play through on your phone. Playing through them is free, but you can spend money on like, go on a date with this cutie or here's a cool outfit you could buy, you know, stuff like that. And I spent three and a half years there before I uh, took the plunge into AAA. I spent a year working on the Dungeons and Dragons game being made at Hidden Path Entertainment. Uh, before I moved over this year to Monolith to to work on Wonder Woman. If I had to give advice based on my career path, and I, I want to say that my career path has come with a lot of luck and a lot of privilege, and it would be wrong of me to, to promote how I got into the industry without acknowledging either of those things. My, my general advice for people is you... Take every shot that you have. Take every single one, even when it's exhausting, even when you're not excited about it, even when you're tired. Like persistence and constant effort is really what defines the people who, who make it, right? I, mm -hmm. it took me about 35 job applications outside of the gate um, grad school to land a full-time job. My husband, who also works in the game industry, dealt with a industry layoff situation at the end of 2018. And it took him until June of 2020 to find his next industry job that was like stable, full-time paying. He had applied to probably well over 200 applications by that point. And my husband has been in the industry networks longer than I have. I would like to think we are both equally talented people when it comes to the work we do. And so really what it came down to is it took me less shots than it did him. So he had to keep taking shots every day. And it gets tiring. It genuinely does. And it gets fatiguing and you start to question yourself and why am I doing this? And is there something wrong with me? And the answer is no, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your work. Theoretically, I, I, I can't look at I, I, the metaphorical work. Like you, you're, you probably have a pretty good portfolio. Your problem is just it takes time. 
And some for some people, that's weeks. For some people, that's months. For some people, that's years. And the big break happens when you constantly put yourself in a position to work on something meaningful, right? And so that doesn't have to just be applying to jobs. This also counts for, like, joining a game jam team. Because, like, I, on a whim, did a game jam when I was at grad school. And it actually got a lot of positive attention. So we submitted it to IndieCade. And then we found out that IndieCade selected it. And it was one of 20 games out of over a 1,000 games submitted that IndieCade was like, we want to show this. And that came from a game jam. That came from just shooting our shot on a smaller scale with smaller projects, right? It means where possible interacting with the community. And I know the pandemic has made this harder, so it's not as easy as it once was to just like go to a convention and make a bunch of friends, but like joining Discord networks and getting active and using your social media to the best of your ability to put yourself out there and to build a community around your craft and around your sort of desire to to be in the game industry you have to basically constantly keep working towards something and once you're in it gets so much easier like once you have that stable full-time job or once you have a, if that's not your path if you're trying to go freelance like once you've gotten a few contracts under your belt and you've gotten into the rhythm of accepting a contract and working on that while finding the next one once you get in your rhythm or once you've gotten that first studio job, everything gets easier because then you have something on your resume that is like, look at this. It's just that first starting out bit that I think people really tend to struggle with and where most people drop off. It's about being willing to put in the work and being willing to put in the work all the time. And it sucks that it is like that because it's not how I would like our industry to be. But it is the industry we have to work with. And it's important to acknowledge that it can be better while also realizing that it's what we have to live with. Yeah. No, that's a, I think that's really good advice. It's a, usually I, often when I ask like questions, kind of, kind of like, well, it's just one day I wasn't and the next day I, I was. I hate those because it's not useful. And like no, the other thing I would say is like, look your way up. My first job was on an all right, was on Shardlight with Wajedi Studios. And it was a six week gig. It wasn't that big. I came in and I did like an editing pass on everything they did. And I added some dialogue and helped did some character building exercises to like help make character voices more consistent because they were all over the place. And I got to write a song and it's a simple job, but it ha- it made a huge difference in the game. Uh, the publisher of that, Dave Gilbert, you know, he still credits me with taking that from a game he was ready to settle on being just fine to like a game he actually loved again. And it was a very small job, all things considered. And it was really the perfect place for me to get my feet wet with you know interactive design and narrative design and with game writing and so i started there right working on one project led to working on another project again a small job didn't take me very long but it went well so a lot of the early stuff was just like script doctoring and editing and polishing things up for voice acting like that kind of stuff and wasn't until i got to choices that I was really like writing my own 
stuff from scratch, right? So you got to just, you got to yeah. figure out where you're at and you got to work where you are, right? So don't, if you're still, if you haven't done anything except for maybe a game jam and you haven't done paid indie work and you don't have an idea where to start, you know, maybe wait a year or two to apply to that AAA job. Not to say that you shouldn't do it because right. everyone should follow their dreams, but like set yourself up for success, right? And that means understanding first, like, where do I want to be in five years? What skills do I need to get there? How do I get those skills? And basically following that kind of a, a framework where you sort of look at where you want to mm -hmm. be and then backtrack from there. I find that really helps for me when I am feeling a little lost or unsure of where I want to go. And it's really helped me to get where I am right now. So I really recommend people just sort of consider where they're at and what goals they have and how they can slowly work themselves up. Because this is a marathon, not a race. Steps. Right. Journey of a thousand miles. Yeah. And no one walks the same path. I think that's another thing I've learned in the industry is you can literally come to games from anywhere. Like literally anywhere. I've met people from all sort of walks of life uh, in the game industry that at some point either have always wanted to work in the game industry or at some point they just did like a, a U-turn into the game industry because they've always wanted to and came from completely different professions. I guess my biggest advice at this point is to see, is to always focus on what's unique about you and your voice and really make that the focal point of the work that you do. So for example, that game jam game I made, um, it was called Overdose and I was I made it with a few other people and it was sort of for me to process the fact that I didn't know what was medically wrong with me, but I kept taking all of these pills to deal with it. And it always felt like I was taking all of these pills and I didn't know what was going on. And so it was a way for me to process what I was going through. And I think the reason why it ended up making it to Indicate and why that had something special to it was because it was about my lived experience. It was something that, you know, really resonated with me and therefore other people found it relatable. And I think so often we see games that are really successful. It makes our attention go outward as creators and it makes us try to find inspiration for our work in everywhere but ourselves. Which can be helpful. And I have certainly been inspired by by games, you know, that and by all sorts of things that came from outside my experience. But when I sit down and think about the work I'm proudest of, it's always something that has come from something that I have been through or something that I have experienced that it was a story that only I could tell. Right. And I think that there's a lot of right. uh, writers and creators who have stories that only they can tell. And that don't see themselves that way or don't believe in themselves that way. And I think that ultimately, like what you can specifically bring to the table is what's going to, to let you shine. It's what's going to set you apart. It's what's going to get you jobs. And it's also it's going to make your art impactful. Um, so if I had anything else to say to anyone specifically trying to break in or trying to refine their art and still trying to figure out their craft. It's really spend some time with yourself 
thinking about what you bring to the table that nobody else does. And everyone has it. Like, don't, I feel like I give this advice sometimes and there's this very like sheepish response I get all the time. I'm like, oh, I'm nothing special. And it's like, stop thinking. <laughs> That's your first problem. You are the only person in this industry that can advocate for yourself. It's nobody else's job in this industry yep. to to help you along the way though you though if you're lucky you will find people who do help you and that's important and if you get that it's important to pay it forward but like ultimately you are going to be your cheerleader your own cheerleader in the worst times and your own supporter when in, in the best times right and i think so often people aren't willing or want to be writers but then don't take stock in their own story and don't find what's interesting and meaningful about their own story. And I think yeah. before you can go out into the world and ask people to believe in these stories, you have to buy in and believe in yourself. Very words of Thank wisdom you. right there. Great. Right. Well, uh, th th thanks so much for joining us, Jen. Uh, do you have any plug Sure. I don't know how long Twitter won't be a hellscape. But uh, my Twitter is my <laughs> last name uh, with a J at the end. So at Alloway J can find me there occasionally having hot takes about narrative. But for the most part, it's just pictures of my dog. I, I am not that exciting in real life. I just play someone exciting on TV. But yeah, and I work at Monolith Productions. You can follow them on Twitter, too, if you like. And yeah, that's me. Awesome. Speaking of... of Twitter hellscape and all that. If there are any Twitter refugees out there, I highly encourage you to join the Game Awards subscriber chat, which I just opened up like this as we're recording this, so about a week ago. Uh, so if you want all the fun of Twitter, you know, the short kind of pithy chats and connecting with all sorts of different people, none of the toxic garbage, that is a great place to go and uh, talk gaming with me and with fellow like-minded, curious Oh, awesome. just an FYI. Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary folks, anyone and everyone in between, Jennifer Alloway. Thank everyone. you. Thank you very much. All right, that's a wrap, folks. Thank you so much once again to our phenomenal guest, Jennifer Alloway, for such a great conversation and such wonderful advice. I'll be linking to her Twitter handle, as well as more information on the games we discussed in the episode notes. I'd once again like to thank all of you for listening today, and especially Game Awards paid subscribers for keeping this whole newsletter, podcasting, publishing operation running free and available to all. I particularly want to give another shout out to Game Awards founding members for making this episode possible. They are Le Takas from Luzern, Switzerland, members since April 14th, 2022. Ella F from San Diego, California, members since April 24th, 2022. Alexi F. from Chicago, Illinois, member since May 13, 2022. And Elvira O. from Mexico City, Mexico, 
members since May 18, 2022. Finally, I want to thank every single one of you for listening today. This publication, this newsletter, this podcast, none of it would be possible without you. As always, you have my undying gratitude for your readership, your listenership, and your support. Thank you. If you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and head on over to gameandword.substack.com. Subscribe for free and get a new, fascinating gaming deep dive every single week. A lot of fun. Once again, I'm Jay Rooney, and this has been another episode of the Game and Word podcast. Talk to you again next time. In the meantime, keep leveling up your curiosity, knowledge, and wonder stats with Game and Word, the curious gaming publication where gaming meets humanity and a 2022 Substack featured publication. Stay curious, players. Thank you.